Welcome back, my fellow creatives. Here we are in August, ready for another little story cupping, where we take a sip from some fiction to see if it fits the tastes of we picky readers and working writers. Uh, this month, I wanted to take some time to catch up on what has been recommended to me. And I love hearing of books and or authors I've not really uh, perused before. And so it's very exciting this month to take some time and just try some flavors, try some blends I would not have otherwise picked up. And we're going to start with The Glass Room by Simon Marr. Let's see here. Now there's a little warning about pronunciation. So we will see how well I do here. <laughs> Hopefully I can handle the check relatively well. We will find out. So chapter one, page one. Return is the name of the chapter. Oh yes, we're here. She knew, even after all these years, something about the slope of the road, the way the trajectory of the car began to curve upwards, a perception of shape and motion that, despite being unused for 30 years, was still engraved on her mind, to be reawakened by the subtle coincidence of movement and inclination. We're here, she said out loud. She grabbed her daughter's hand and squeezed. Their escort in the back of the car shifted on the tiny plastic seat, perhaps in relief at the prospect of imminent escape. She could smell him. Damp cloth. It was raining. And cheap aftershave and old sweat. The car, a Tatra, she had been told, drew into the curb and stopped. Someone opened the door. She could hear that and sense the change in the air. Faint flecks of water on the wind and someone opening an umbrella, like the sail of a boat snapping open in the breeze. She recalled Victor on the Zirchi. Zirchi. Oh boy. Zirchi. My apologies. The little dinghy pitching out into the waves, black trees rising from the blacker water beyond their fragile craft. Like riding a bike, he had cried, bringing the dinghy up into the wind, deliberately letting the little craft heel over. You get the sense of balance. It's not a bit like riding a bike, she had replied, feeling sick. Victor should be here. Physically here, she meant. For in some way he was here, of course. His taste, his vision enshrined. She slid across the seat towards the blur of light that was the open door of the car. A hand gripped her arm and helped her out into the pavement. There was a brush of rain across her face and the rattle of drops on the umbrella above her head. She straightened up, feeling the light around her, feeling the space, feeling the low mass of the house just there across the forecourt. Victor should be here. But Attili was coming to her left side. It's all right, darling. I'll manage on my own. So I'm going to pause here for a second. 
again, I have not read up on the glass room at all. And now I'm trying to remember if I said glass house at the beginning. I'm hoping I said glass room. <laughs> I apologize if I said glass house. I'm sure that might have made some of you wonder, what is she looking at? Does she know what she's looking at? I apologize. I am recording this after a day of grading finals. My brain is a little wonky. And I desire reading something good. <laughs> So here we are, even if I am goofing words. And if I didn't actually goof the title, then hooray. Uh, so I'm looking at this first page. And I really like the intimacy and the, the sense of promise in that first sentence. Anticipation. There we go. That was the word. In the first sentence, oh yes, we're here. There, there is something very positive, something almost greedy in that first sentence. And something else to keep in mind is not entirely sure who is actually thinking that first sentence. Now, I would think it's our female that we have been following. Because she seems to be the one whose memories we are sensing, whose memories we are getting physical details from. But there was at almost one point, I got a little thrown. At first, I wasn't sure if we were hearing things from the daughter's point of view, because sometimes getting sensory details from a child's perspective can be very interesting. But no, I'm pretty sure it was our adult female's perspective. Um, and I don't know if it's translation that maybe threw me off a little bit in that second paragraph to the third paragraph. But there is definitely a stream of conscious feel here where as the memories and the sensations are returning to our narrator, we are getting them, which our narrator is in the setting, in the environment, so is able to process and, and function and respond. But we as readers are going to have to do some catching up and it, it's possible to get a little thrown off by what is memory and what is present in this first page. However, clearly there is something very important with this place that we have come to. And it is very important to learn why Victor isn't there. Because clearly that matters to our female protagonist. And so why is Victor gone? And we as readers are curious, well, where is Victor? Where is this guy? And as writers, we know we have to make sure we are emphasizing the importance of something to, there is this longing, this anticipation for being present in a certain setting, but also the greed for more. I don't know if greed is really the right word, yearning. I think that's more appropriate. 
Because clearly being in this place is not quite enough for a female protagonist. It's not enough. And by associating the place with another character, in this case, Victor, it's helping, you know, we as writers are able to immediately add importance to that character and intrigue for our readers because they're going to want to understand, well, what makes Victor so important? Why isn't Victor there? Why does he matter? So let's keep reading. A strange hand grasped her elbow and she shook it off. Do you think I don't know my own house? She spoke sharply and immediately regretted the comment for its brusqueness and its pure factual inaccuracy. It wasn't her house. Not any longer. Not in any legal terms. Whatever Martin might say. Stolen with all the solemnity of legal procedures at least twice and by two different authorities. But it was her house in other less clearly defined terms. Hers and Victor's. The vision. And it still bore their name, didn't it? Any amount of juridical, jur, yeah, juridical theft. Juridical? I'm going to say juridical. Sorry. Had not managed to expunge that. Das Landauer Haus. The Landauer Haus. Villa Landauer. Say it how you will. And Rainer's too, of course. Tapping with her cane, she walked forward across the space, across the forecourt, while footsteps fell in beside her and tactfully kept pace, like mourners at a funeral walking along with the brave widow. The paving is the same, she said. Remarkable how it has survived. The answering voice was that of the man from the city architect's office. But it is a work of art, he added, as though works of art of necessity survive. Whereas, in fact, they often don't. A fire here, some damp infiltrating a wall there, the random falling of a bomb, pure neglect. See the manner in which von Abt framed the view of the castle, he said, and then fell silent, embarrassed by his lack of tact. I remember exactly, she reassured him. And it was true. She could recall exactly how it was. The space between the main house and the servant's apartment, Lanique's apartment, framing the hill on the far side of the city. The future frames the past, Rayner had said. She could see it in the only eye she possessed now, her mind's eye. So much a cliché, but so vividly a fact. All of it projected within the intricate jelly of her brain to give her an image that was almost as real as seeing. The wooded hill, the Spilas fortress, and a cathedral with its hunched shoulders and its black spires exactly. Rainer said, like hypodermic needles. Ooh, that gives me the shivers a little bit. That even though I have a feeling we're going to be moving through past just as much as the present with this narrative, I am loving these descriptions. I mean, heavens, connecting a th cathedral to hunched shoulders. It's almost like a goon, you know? And then the black spires like hypodermic needles. Needles ain't positive. So this is, there's something very threatening about the image of the cathedral. Gah, okay, let's keep going. She walked on. The bulk of the house cut out the light around her as she came nearer. There was a freestanding pillar at that point, supporting the overhanging roof. 
She remembered the children swinging on it and Liba calling them to stop. She reached out with her cane and touched the pillar just to make sure. Just to locate herself in the open sweep of the forecourt. Just to delight in the small intake of breath from the man at her right elbow that told her how amazed he was at the way she could orientate herself. But of course she would. She knew this place like, like the inside of her own mind. She knew exactly how to walk around the curve of glassed wall and discover, tucked behind it, the front door. A photograph of voice called. The small procession halted. There was a shuffling and a maneuvering around her contact with heavy male figures. Atelier, where are you? I'm here, Maminko. Smile, please, said the voice, and there came an instant of bright light as though lightning had flashed briefly behind the even milk of an enveloping cloud. Then the group broke apart, and hands guided her back towards the house while someone opened the front door and invited her forward. This way, this way, into the soft, familiar silence of the entrance hall. A quiet blanket of fog all around her, the opalescent light, that was all she would ever see now that had become her own universal vision. The light, Rainer had said when showing her the milk-white glass panes. The soft light of detachment and reason. The future, pure sensation. Touching her. Again, it's this mix of past and present. And it clearly our narrator, our, our, I shouldn't say our narrator, our, our protagonist. Sounds like she is older, as we learn she's moving around with a cane and remembering how this house was. We, we're, we are just as much in memory as we are in the present. And reality's lines, it feels like reality's lines are going to blur. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> right now. I'm being the cranky reader I can be, the picky reader I can be. I, I like having a more grounded sense of what is past and present. And yet, I can see why Maurer would approach this way because the details, the sensory details of the present keep recalling the past for our protagonist. So for our protagonist, these things are one and the same, that time is blending together. And since we readers are experiencing the story with her, we're going to be experiencing that meshing of time as well. So we're just going to have to suck it up buttercup and, and see how we can navigate alongside our protagonist after a drink of water. One more snippet here. She was aware of others, shapes, presences, crowding in behind her. The door closed. Home. She was home. 30 years. A generation. 
She knew the walls around her, the rosewood panels facing her. To her left, the stairs turning down into the living room. Sounds, the, the mere whisper of hearing, gave her the dimensions of the space. She put out her left hand and found the balustrade that guarded the stairwell. People were talking. The architect fellow extolling and exclaiming, but she declined to listen. Unaided, she made her way to the top of the stairs and walked down carefully, knowing the moves, but having to lift them out of memory, like someone being able to play the piano without looking at the keyboard, recalling a tune that she had last played many years ago. Twelve steps to the curve, and then round and down nine more, and the space opened out around her, visible. Even in the blank blankness, the lower level of the house, the glass space, der glass realm. <sighs> A faint sigh, organic, almost sexual, came from somewhere deep within her. She could feel the volume as though it had physical substance, as though her face were immersed in it. Space made manifest. She could feel the light from the expanse of plate glass that made up the south wall, smell the Makassar wood, sense the people standing there between the glass and the onyx wall, between the plain white ceiling and the ivory white floor, people she knew and people she didn't know. The children, of course running across the carpets toward her, Victor looking up from the chair where he sat reading the newspaper, her brother there, although he had never known the place, her friends, her parents, all of them there. Are you feeling all right, Frau Landauer? Quite all right, thank you. Just the, she cast around for the right word, pictures. Pictures, Frau Landauer? There were no pictures. Never had been. Not in this room. She knew that. In my mind. Oh, of course, of course. There must be many. Many. For example, when it was dark and Victor left, the curtains opened so the windows became mirrors, casting the whole room in duplicate. The chairs, the table, the onyx wall reflected out there in the night, and his mirrored image walking back and forth, back and forth, suspended over the lawn that had itself become ghostly and insubstantial in the reflection. Refraction of the daytime became reflection of the night. That was how Rayner himself had put it. He had even used the English words for the euphony. Euphony was a quality he loved. Der Volkling. Snow. Why did she think of snow? That peculiar bath of light, the sky's light reflected upwards when the blanched lawn to light the ceiling as brightly as the clouded sun hit the floor. Light became substance, soft, transparent milk. Birds picking hopefully at the ice and Victor pressing the button to lower the windows like fading memories down into the basement. We'll freeze! Don't be silly. I'll stop here because I'm already going to go over a little 20 minutes. So my initial, I know I initially thought that there was a little child, but since our protagonist is older, 
the daughter must have been an adult. And I thought this was Czech because of the pronunciation warning ahead of the story. But uh, we're definitely dealing with some German thoughts here. Pardon my naivete. Naivete. My ignorance. There we go. <laughs> um, it's... <sighs> There's definitely something about this language. There's definitely something about an old woman immersed in a place that made her happy. Something I so wish I could have seen for my grandmothers. And I'm, I suppose that's what is connecting me to this, is that for those whose past has more substance, more feeling, more happiness than the present, or what, what little remains of the future, I would want to give them that moment where they could just revel in those moments of happiness. Concern it, I'm gonna tear up. Um, I mean, this is definitely not a normal read for me. I am used to magic or murders or explosions or all of the above <laughs> in the first couple of chapters. So obviously this is a bit of a different pace. And yet when I think of this protagonist, I, I do still wonder why is she there? There is something of a mystery here. It's not clear to me and I could maybe be looking for something that doesn't exist, but I wonder, I wonder about this woman and I wonder what she is walking into besides her old home. And already I'm feeling like I don't want anything to happen to her because I didn't want anything to happen to my grandmas. <laughs> so I guess that's me being selfish, I suppose. So we'll have to continue seeing where this story goes. And maybe you would enjoy such a story as well. A slower journey, and yet truly immersive. And that is in this day and age where so much storytelling is about telling and not showing, this is a flavor to savor indeed. So until next week, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers.